podcast fans. I'm Frances McGarry, host of First Online with Friends, There's No Place Like Art. Each episode features ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the arts to make our world a richer, safer, softer place to live. I'm always amazed at how each person has a distinct dynamic that can raise our spirits and instill hope through their art. As an actor performing a one act play on the the Trauma Brain Project with Marsha Mason, a fashion edutainer, Banna Yan, or creating socks that speak to the soul of our political heroes like Maggie Stern. And one of the ways I've learned to proactively channel my isolation is to seek out what I call my pandemic pals. These are people I've met through social media who have become sources of inspiration and amusement. When I reached out to today's guest, Mike Turner, he said, why would you want to talk to me? You sure you've got the right Mike Turner? (laughs) Well, I certainly do. This federal agent turned special agent in charge of immigration customs enforcement, published poet, songwriter, star, is currently the CEO of Original Music, advocating world peace and opposing war and violence. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Fran. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, You've made some pretty big leaps in your life from D.C. federal investigator to playing the ukulele. (laughs) (laughs) How did that happen? Can you connect the dots for me? I can connect the dots, but I'm not quite sure it's a linear trip to get there. Uh, I, I grew up in a very musical family, but I had never done anything really myself with music. I mean, like like any guy my age, I played the guitar in high school and college, and I was mediocre at best. So I put it away, and for the next 30-odd years, didn't do anything. Then I retired. You mentioned my career in federal law enforcement, and I retired. And my wife and I moved from, at that time, Washington, D.C., where we were both posted to where we are now in coastal Alabama. And I have a boat and we had planned that boating was gonna be the big part of our retirement activity. And that held for a while. And then I started looking for other things to do and bought a ukulele on a whim and took a local ukulele class. And by the second week of the class, I had written my first song and it just really seemed to click for me and it took off from there. Oh my goodness. We talked a bit about how the arts shine a light on the truth. And there was a connection between your seeking truth as a federal investigator with the truth of being an artist. My career was based on a search for truth, if you will. If If a crime had been committed, it was my job to find out who was responsible for it and bring justice, gather the evidence that was needed to pursue a case in court to convict somebody, put them in jail, assign the appropriate punishment to them. So there was always that focus on truth. But truth is kind of a layered thing. I mean, that's one type of truth. Was there a crime? Who's responsible for it? Then there are the truths that underlie that. Why did that crime occur? Why did they choose to commit it? What were the motivations? 
And I got more and more just personally interested in why people do things, not just proving that somebody did something, but why, what are the whys behind that? And so when I did start writing, that tended to be what I focused on, where not so much that first layer of what happened, but that deeper layer of why, what was the motivation? What's the commonality between me and them and all of us in why things are done and why things happen? And that's what I started to focus on. It's not so much about robbing a bank as it is what drove that. Was it greed? Was it desperation? And how do you write about those common things? What did you discover about finding that truth and then translating that into writing music? In some ways, I found, I think, that any of us can be motivated to do what might be considered bad things in the right, right's not the right word, but, but in a certain set of circumstances. Let's go back to the bank robbing example. You know, it's against the law to rob a bank and it's morally wrong to to steal. That's all well and good. But if you're doing it to feed your family, because otherwise your children are going to starve, it starts to shed a little bit of a different light on what those truths really are. And I think it's those deeper truths that are universal among all of us as people and also tend to transcend time and circumstance. We can look back over the great course of history, I suppose, and see that 2,000 years ago, people did, the Roman Empire did such and such. We're going to find that the motivational reasons for that were the same type of thing that motivated us all today. That, to me, is just fascinating. And that's what I like to write about, and that's what I like to explore in some of my music. Why do we do what we do? And how does that connect us together as people? And this past week, as you know, the trial, the impeachment trial, was all about seeking truth and finding the truth behind the story. Does any of that connect to you as a federal agent and now songwriter? Well, it it does, certainly. In one respect, we always had a saying in law enforcement, there's what you know and what you can prove. And there were times that a crime would be committed and we would have a pretty good idea of who was responsible for it. But if you couldn't bring the evidence to prove that to the legal standards that are necessary in court, that person might not be brought to justice for the crime they had committed. So that's one thing that I see in what's happened in the last week is that question of, we know there's responsibility, but is there responsibility to a legal standard that one could pursue? Mitch McConnell, who I do not particularly respect, talked about that after the vote. And if you watch the video that he posted, which is around 20 minutes long, but I actually do recommend it, he does make an argument that although Trump can be held morally responsible for what he did, there might not be a very strict legal responsibility for what he did in terms of criminal prosecution and in terms of impeachment. I'm not sure I agree with his assessment totally, but it's an argument that can be made. And the whole point being, to answer your question, 
yeah, that sticks with me, that there were cases that I investigated that I knew that the crime had been committed and I knew who did it. And we didn't have the evidence to take it to court to prove it. And that's not a very funny situation. But one of the things that drew me to you as a character (laughs) in our group that we shared, shout out to Susan Keller. You just always found the humor and everything, you know, in the most dire of uh, conversations that we would have on that thread. And I'm like, who is this guy? You know, I would just think that as a federal investigator, you know, you, you haven't become hardened to the world. That was something that I admired about you. You know, you didn't become jaded about our circumstances, but instead you use that to facilitate this artist in you that you didn't know, you know, that you had. I don't know that I could totally agree that I'm not jaded, but I do enjoy irony and I enjoy seeing the irony in circumstances and pointing out the irony, even sometimes when it's painful, because sometimes it can be. This is a pretty good example. I think there are a lot of people who would like to see responsibility placed for what happened at the Capitol. And they'd like to see Trump held to account for the things that he did that contributed to that. And there is some irony in the way our system works that that may not happen. And isn't that ironic? And isn't that sad? But there it is. And this is a good example of how I would try to write about something like this, because were I to choose to do a song on this topic, I would not do the song strictly about the events that happened at the Capitol and what Trump said and didn't say, I would try to get to the deeper underlying emotion and motivation and see if I could broaden that out into a a discussion of those aspects rather than just the historical aspects. That's so true, because when I listen to your songs, I was drawn to two of them, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about them. You can talk about any song that you want, but what I'm interested in is exactly what you just said, taking what is happening in the moment and translate that into a musical version to either teach or just express, you know, where you're coming from. The two songs that I liked was Lay My Troubles Down and The Grass Is Always Greener. (laughs) Lay My Troubles Down is really, in a way, a gospel song. It is and it isn't. It's a blues song and it's a gospel song. And I mentioned growing up, I never did anything musically. And there was a certain irony in that because I come from a very musical family, particularly on my mother's side, where I have aunts and uncles that are involved in nationally recognized gospel groups. They sing, they perform. One of them, Squire Parsons, if I can do a shout out for him, is a well-respected and extremely well-known gospel entertainer and wrote a couple of just standards that are out there in that genre of music. So again, there was an irony that that was happening all around me and I didn't do any of that. So when I started writing, that's one of the genres of music that I was drawn to because I had been exposed to it so much. I knew some of the conventions. I knew some of the structures. And those are some of the songs I I started writing. Lay My Troubles Down is all about someone who recognizes that they have caused pain in life, not just to themselves, 
but actually to other people and bearing the burden of that and hoping and wishing and asking for the day that I can finally lay that load down, that I've carried that load long enough. I've carried it my entire life. And interestingly, it's funny how you can write something and I'm not just talking about my stuff. I'm talking about anybody. It's funny how you can write something and you may have a particular idea and message that you want to convey. And then people will read that and come up with different interpretations that you didn't really consider, but they really resonate in both directions. This particular song a month ago, I was asked to perform it at a candlelight vigil protesting against the federal death penalty. And I had never really thought about how does this song relate to that? And I asked the organizer that had invited me and she said, well, you know, I listen to it and I hear someone that has committed a crime and accepts responsibility for it and is willing to pay the price for it. But is this the price that's really appropriate? And yeah, I hadn't considered that, but I can hear that now in that song. Similarly, when I talk to playwrights, you know, and I'll say like, oh, my God, when that character said that and, it, you know, it just opened up all these new and they're like, I had no idea. You know, they have no idea of the power of their words. And I think that, you know, that's kind of like what you were talking about. I agree with you. And I see that when I never done anything on the stage, but I attend plays, I read plays. I see that, too, where you'll see a play that has a story that it's telling, but there's so much more depth to what's being conveyed by not just the writing of the play, but the way the actors then portray it to us. It gets again to those underlying truths and those underlying emotions that resonate between us as people and across time. And similarly, when I work with a playwright as an actor and the cast, I bring out things as a performer that the playwright, you know, never considered before. How do you, as a musician, because you're working with yourself, you know, you don't have that collaboration of the playwright and the director and the dramaturg and the, the, all of the, all of that. It's a collaboration. What's your process, I guess? You know, how do you get that idea? Like if you were to write a song about what has happened, you know, about seeking truth and wanted to translate that into your art form, how, how do you go about doing that? That's a multi-layered question, yeah. Fran. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is how I think. I, you know, there's so many ways that I think about how artists work and, you know, what makes them tick. And, you, well, you said, you said, Mike, that you look for the irony in it. And what's ironic? Oh, God, can we go on? <laughs> you finished the sentence. Let me say this, because there is a lot of collaboration in music in certain circumstances. And I'll talk about that in a minute, because it's a fascinating part of the process. But when I first sit down to choose a topic to write a song, and I do quite a bit of writing of what is called topical music or what used to be called protest music. And so I'll see a headline or I'll read about a historical event or something that's happened in current events. And it'll just start me to thinking about I, I listen for phrases mm -hmm. that I can turn into a musical hook or a musical title, something to be the core that I'm going to tell this story around. 
this is not a song that you mentioned, but I'll talk about this song because this song, it fascinates people that I wrote it and it angers people that I wrote it. And it's a song called How Many More? Now, I was a law enforcement officer for almost 30 years. And I carried a gun every day. And I saw the effects of violence against people, individual people. Now, I worked a lot. I grew up in Detroit and I worked a lot in Detroit. And then I worked a lot out on the West Coast. And those are pretty violent places for some people. I saw that. And so as a 30-year law enforcement officer, it fascinates people that I am a proponent of gun control. And it angers people, especially here in the South, when they find out, what do you mean you used to be a cop, but you want gun control? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And so when the Parkland shootings happened, that was, of course, just the latest example of, of this yeah. horrific school shooting, mass shooting event. And to me, the cycle was always the same. One of these events would occur, there would be horror and there would be outrage. And then there would start the discussion about, oh, our second amendment rights and blah, 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 blah. And nothing would happen. And the cycle would just come around to the next shooting. And it would happen again and again and again. And the question I started asking myself is, first of all, I think we could find areas of agreement between the different camps and the different viewpoints on gun control where we could find agreement. But more importantly, how many more people are going to have to die before we start to do that? How many more kids are going to have to die? And that's what became the core of the song for me. How many more have got to die before we do something about this? And so with that idea as the concept, and right away, I kind of figured out that's going to be more or less what the chorus of this song is about. What are the verses going to be about? And I decided in the verses to tell stories about people that were impacted by gun violence. And so we have the first verse is about a school shooting. The second verse is about a woman who's just going home for work at the end of the day and stops to buy a takeout dinner and walks in on a robbery. And the last verse is about a veteran who is so desperate and despairing that he commits suicide. Because I think that's a part of the gun violence problem as well. The number of people that resort to suicide and the fact that it's so easy in this country to get guns to do that. And so that's how that song kind of came together. And, and this is a song that for me happened relatively quickly. I think I spent a couple of weeks crafting it. Uh, there are other songs that take months and I'm not exaggerating. They take, I'll set them aside because I just can't quite get into how to finish something up. But this song happened relatively quickly. And that's the story that I wanted to tell. Here's individuals that are impacted and killed by gun violence, how many more times is this going to happen? How many more times are we going to let this happen before we do something about it? So that's an example, I guess, of how the process. That's, that's a perfect example. I want to bring you back to that collaboration. So educate me. Yeah. Collaboration actually happens quite a bit in music at various steps of the process. It has become more and more the norm in both pop music and in country music for people to collaborate 
in the writing. And in fact, it's very evident these days in pop music. If you go to a major pop artist album like Taylor Swift, just as an example, and you look at the number of people that have songwriting credit on an individual track on an album, you'll see four, five, six, ten people. And it's because there has become in the pop music world a real specialization in who does what in crafting a song. There are some people that do nothing but create rhythmic beats. Oh, wow. And then there and then there are other people who will take those beats and they do nothing but come up with hooks. Like how many more? What's the hook that gets people drawn into this song? Then there are people that focus on melody. There are people that focus on verses. There are people that focus on choruses. All of that turns into a collaboration that creates this song. And even in the country world, which is slowly gravitating to that model, but even in the country world for years, it's been the practice for two or three songwriters to get together in a defined meeting, a songwriting meeting, to sit down and, and knock around ideas about a song and I'll contribute a, a line and you contribute a line and here's a little melodic look, hook that kind of carries that. And so you have that type of collaboration, which I like because it brings in ideas that I might not have. It creates music that I might not individually create. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes I think it creates a stronger overall song when it's over. Not always, because you can get into, you know, the designing an elephant idea that yeah. things can lose their way. But I collaborated with a songwriter up in Connecticut. He had started a song about the income inequality in this country, how there's the, the haves and the have-nots. And he was having trouble finishing it. He had come up with some good ideas and a couple of verses. And, and he asked me to help him with that. And I did. And we came up with what we think is a pretty good song. And one of the big contributions that I think that I made to that song is that we tended to lose our focus after a while. We were focusing on income inequality, but that kind of led into questions of food deprivation and poverty. And we started writing about that. And I finally was the one that said, you know, this song needs to be about one thing. And the one thing it needs to be about is that there's the haves and the have-nots. It doesn't need to be about all this other stuff. You know, this is so interesting, Mike, because that's exactly the same process of putting on a play. One of the questions that we ask the playwright is, what's the major dramatic question here? What story do you want to... Yeah. This is so, so enlightening. I never made the connection between the two. One of the things also that you talked about, Mike, was that you have a political agenda here with some of your songs and you want to bring the best. You want to move this forward in a proactive, positive way. Could you talk a little bit about your project for world peace and how, yeah. how that started? And I would say, I wouldn't call it a political agenda. I would call it a social agenda. Politics to me has to do with Republicans and Democrats and the left and the right and blah, 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 blah all these labels that we want to apply to people that don't agree with us. I want to focus on what we do agree about. We can agree, I think, war is a bad thing. War is not something we want to see happen. I think generally we can all agree with that. 
And I want to build off of that consensus and talk about what we can do about this particular social issue. So now, I had written a couple of songs that were what you would in the old days call a, a protest song, an anti-war song. And that brought me through the wonders of the internet in connection with a music producer on the East Coast who was writing similar stuff, but wanted to really get that message out. It wasn't just write a song and, and there it is. It's how can we actually make a difference? How can we influence the people that make the decisions about going to war to show them the consequences of what that means and how it impacts real people? And there are other ways. There are alternatives to going to war. And so we decided, after looking at a couple of songs, we decided, you know, we want to give voice to musicians and writers that have the same message and have the same goal. And we created this indie label, Music for World Peace Records, to do that. And so now, as of Sunday, we have released our 13th single on about seven different artists. We've got artists here in the US, in Australia, in South Africa, in the Netherlands. We've got more people in other countries that were developing songs for production now. And what we're looking for and what we're producing are songs that oppose war, promote peace and love, and try to show the decision makers of the world the impact of going to war and the fact that peace and love are the alternative. That's have what these had, songs are all about. Yes. And have you had any success with reaching those people and making a difference? Not yet. Not yet. But we're, we're identifying more and more international peace organizations that we're hoping to partner with just to have them help distribute our music. And we're not doing this for any profit at all. There's a little bit of profit that comes from people that listen to the songs on streaming services like Spotify, but that's so minuscule. That's really not what the motivation is. The motivation is let's get the music out there so people are thinking about this and hearing about this. And as I say, there's some peace organizations that we're talking to about how we be, may be able to partner there are some other non-governmental organizations, as they call them, NGOs, that we're talking to with the same idea to get the word out. And that's exactly my mission as well, to show how the arts can heal, how the arts can give voice to our world, not just what's going on now, but all over the world, people struggle with this. And I think we can all agree, you talked about agree, that it is through music that we can tap into the hearts and souls of people. And we may not see a palpable change, you know, in what we're doing, but I just feel like you, I'm not making money from this, <laughs> you know, but uh, some way, somehow, I did a brain trauma project and someone who listened to the podcast didn't realize that she was abused, sexually abused when she was three, two or three years old. And it came out with seizures and epilepsy, you know, and it's like, oh, my God, I never thought I could see this. And going back to what you were saying, you know, how many more, how many more 
people, students, kids are going to be shot. And we just kind of raise the awareness and that's that's all we can do. Mike, thank you so much for taking time out. And we're going to talk about boats after this show because <laughs> <laughs> we both have boats and we love <laughs> we love the water. So we'll talk about that too. And I'm just want to make sure that do you have like resources or links that that people can access to learn more about your project? I would share uh two with you. The website for Music for World Peace is www.musicforworldpeacerecords.com. We free stream all of our releases there. So people can go there, they can read about our organization, they can listen to our music. We also have a page on Facebook, same name, it's Music for World Peace Records. People can find us on Facebook. And then if people are interested in my music beyond just the World Peace Initiative, you can find me at www.MikeTurnerSongwriter.com and Mike Turner Songwriter on Facebook. Thanks, Mike. And I'll have all this on the blog when it airs. So thanks for giving me hope and seeing that the grass is always greener. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) Thank you, Fran. Evening news on TV at 10 Nice sweet story, mask on killing Young boy bullet, excites his due Murder's class full of kids at school Latest of these gun tragedies Weeping mothers, angry fathers for their children grieve And I ask you why Well I ask you why And I ask you How many more must die How many more Woman plans quiet night alone Stops for takeout on her way home Walks into a store robbery Don't hear the shot that makes her bleed Girl won't be going home no more Life drains out on a lonely, dirty hardtail floor And I ask you why go on till our friends and our families are all dead and gone murder terror or crime or hate was the same if a bullet is our dying fate something government should take the guns others say open carry guns for everyone god knows what the true answer is but we can't let the killing just keep up like and I ask you why Yeah, I ask you why And I ask you How many more 
must die I make more Veteran hero of our last war Half his soul's left on some far shore No work can feed his family Loses hope, grasps at sanity Comes to fear that he's not a man Takes his life, gun is clenched in his cold dead hand And I ask you why Well I ask you why Oh I ask you why Yeah I ask you why And I ask you How many more must die? How many more? How many more must die? How many more? Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions.